right. Have you ever copied anybody? Not like their homework. Uh, when I was a kid, my favorite baseball player was a second baseman for the Chicago Cubs named Ryan Sandberg. Yeah, he ended up in the Hall of Fame, so he's a, he was a good guy to, to have as your favorite. But I, I wanted to be just like Ryan Sandberg um, in every, every way possible. So like in, in middle school, I read a book, kind of his biography, and it told about things he did as a kid. Like at one point he chased frogs. I don't know why this was a story in his biography, but then I thought, well, I need to chase frogs too. Like it was just one of those things where you wanted to copy everything that he did. Um, he wore really weird-looking flip-up sunglasses. They make cooler ones now for baseball players, but back in the day, they really weird. And so I had to get myself a pair of these weird flip-up sunglasses. And my my glove that I had was a Ryan Sandberg edition baseball glove. And uh, I practiced turning double plays the way that he turned double plays. And he would never swing at the first pitch when he was up to bat, so I would never swing at the first pitch when I was up to bat. And uh, I just wanted to copy him. I wanted to be like him. And uh, didn't quite work out that way in all those <laughs> ways, but um, he was a good one to emulate. But the reason I wanted to be like him was because I saw good things in him. I saw in him what I wanted for myself. I wanted to be like Rhino. Um, in, our, in, in the Bible, there's several scriptures that kind of emulate that type of thing. So there's this weird story about Peter who sees Jesus walking on water, and he's like, hey, uh, I want to do what Jesus does. And so he's like, I'm going to get out of the boat and walk on water too. And of course that lasts for about a split second. If you know the story, uh, Peter gets distracted by the wind and the waves and takes his eyes off of Jesus and he sinks. But the initial instinct was Jesus is doing something. I want to do what Jesus is doing. Um, there's another story in scriptures a little bit closer to the end of the gospel stories in which the disciples are going around, they're trying to cast demons out of people and they couldn't do it, um, but they were trying. They would go up to people that were demon-possessed and they would pray on them and they would, uh, you know, not pray on them, but pray for them and, um, and try and cast out these demons and, and they would fail, but they, they tried. They said, Jesus can do this, we're going to do it too. And so our, our scripture story today um, is one of these moments where the disciples um, act like Jesus. One disciple in particular, his name is Peter. Um, again, he's the one that tried to walk on water and it didn't go so well, but that didn't discourage him. Peter is one of these guys that seemed to always come up with the crazy idea. Um, sometimes it worked out really well, sometimes it's not so much. Um, but I want you to pay attention to just this idea of, of Peter wanting to be like Jesus. Again, we've been the last few weeks in this Like Jesus uh, sermon series, but we haven't been in the Gospels. We've been in the book of Acts, where the disciples, after the resurrection, become the church. And so these are the early days of church. The disciples are still in Jerusalem but they're trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus now that he is resurrected and they've received the Holy Spirit. Um, what does it mean to follow Jesus now? What does it mean to be like Jesus? And so our scripture today comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. 
Um, it'll be on the screens, I think, and, uh, or you can follow along in your Bibles. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 36. It says, Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time she became ill and died. When they had washed her and laid her in a room upstairs, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing their tunics and other clothing that Tabitha had made while she was with them. And Peter pulled, put, out all, put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and he prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Uh, pray with me, if you will. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word not just words on pages that have been preserved uh, for some 2,000 years, although we are grateful for those words on those pages that somehow we are able to have access to these holy scriptures and we can have them in our, our homes and in our, on our phones and just readily available. We are so grateful for the access to these holy texts. But Father, we are also grateful for your word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We're grateful for your son, Jesus. May that word speak to us today. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Give us wisdom. Call us into closer relationship with you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, kind of just recapping the story a little bit. Um, Peter is called to this home where Tabitha is at, Right? And it's possible that she's, it's pretty likely that she's one of the leaders of the church in Joppa. The description there that they give when they talk about Tabitha, um, in verse 36, it says she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. That would indicate that she was involved in the ministries of the church. That's what those phrases mean, that she's involved in ministries of the church there. So that, that faith community, Tabitha was probably a leader, if not the leader of the church there in Joppa. Um, she most likely took care of those widows, the poor, and the orphans. Again, there's, as we read through the scripture text, you see that the widows were there, and they had received garments from her, and they were showing Peter the different ways that Tabitha had blessed them. This description, good works, was often synonymous with those types of activities, these caring for those who uh, kind of fell outside the societal norm, you know, the widows and the orphans, those who were poor. And then the story tells us that she grew ill and she died, and they washed her body in preparation for her burial. That was the Jewish practice. You wash the body and you prepare it for burial. Peter was about a half a day's walk away, and so some disciples went and told Peter, hey, Tabitha, she's sick and she died. 
So he went to Joppa, he went to the room where Tabitha was, and he cleared everyone out of the room. He sent everybody out. And he kneeled and he prayed. And Tabitha got up. He took her by the hand and he helped her get up. And those who were mourning saw Tabitha alive and were amazed. It's quite an interesting story. Um, I've been pastor here for about a year and a half now. And if you haven't picked up on it, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. Uh, I think you've gotten to know me enough to know that like, I'm a, a bit of a Bible nerd. That might be understating it a little bit. But... Um, so I read these stories, I hear these, these scripture stories, and I ask questions. I want to know more. I, I, I'm curious about it. Um, so for example, when, when I was reading through the scripture story the first time, kind of in preparation for this sermon, the question that comes to my mind is, where in the world would Peter get the idea to raise someone from the dead? What a crazy idea. Because I'll tell you, as a pastor, when I get that phone call, hey, you know that person, they've been sick, they finally have passed. My first impulse is not, hey, let's see if we can resurrect them. Maybe it should be, I don't, I, I mean, this isn't that type of conversation. But like, that's never been like the first thought when you get the call that somebody has passed away. Where did Peter come up with this idea? I know this is the Bible and those kinds of things happened in these Bible stories. Maybe we get used to the idea that miracles happen in the Bible and so we we're able to just kind of put it in a different category of experience. You know, Jesus turns water to wine. He heals sick people. He walks on water. Tabitha is raised from the dead. Like maybe this is just strange things happened in the Bible, right? But if we think about Peter as a real person, this is a really strange story. If we think about what's going through his mind in response to this, hey, a disciple, a member of the church, one of the leaders of the church in Joppa, somebody you probably knew well has passed away. And so he goes and he clears out the room and he prays. And she's raised to new life. We know Peter is bold. Again, he's the one that wanted to get out of the boat and walk on the water. He's the one that shouted out, you're the Messiah. But he's also the one that told Jesus, no, the Messiah's not going to die. Um, he's bold. He's daring. He, he seems to be this person that's always on the front end making these different decisions or, or statements that are just, it's bold. So maybe he's just one of those people that Kind of was a wild card. You never knew what Peter was going to do, right? He could say or do anything at any given time. And so maybe we can just chalk this up to Peter being that. Like, maybe this is just him wanting to do something unusual. Maybe Peter was just off. Um, but this story in Acts chapter 9 doesn't usually get a lot of attention. It just, I, for whatever reason, it doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, I, there's no Bible studies, you know, books on, on this story all that often. I mean, it's, it's something that often gets skipped as we do studies in the book of Acts. It's a few verses. And for whatever reason, this amazing story about a dead person coming back to life, for some reason many of us aren't familiar with the story of, of Tabitha. But for some of us here today, you might be thinking that this story sounds familiar, even if you didn't know who Tabitha was. 
Now you might be going, well, this, this sounds familiar. I didn't know that, that it was Peter that raised her from the dead, and I didn't know it was Tabitha was her name. And, but it sounds familiar. Like, this has got some familiar elements to it. You might be thinking that you've heard this story before, or maybe a similar story. If you haven't heard the story about Peter and Tabitha, maybe you've heard a story about Jesus and Jairus' daughter. Have you heard of that story? That story goes something like this. Jairus' young daughter had died. And Jairus had come to tell Jesus. And so Jesus went to Jairus' house and went to the room where the girl was. And Jesus cleared nearly everyone out of the room, sent everybody, nearly everyone out of the room. And then he took the daughter's hand and told the daughter to get up. Which of course she did. I said as I was telling that, recapping that story, that Jesus kept almost everyone out of the room. That when he got there, he sent almost everyone out. There was a few people that Jesus let stay in the room. The Bible says Jairus' parents, or the girl's parents, stayed in the room. Um, and then the Bible tells us that there was a few other people in the room. Um, Jesus let John and James stay in the room. We also let Peter stay in the room. So as we read our scripture for today, and you ask yourself, or I ask myself, why did Peter think to do what he did? Where did he come up with this idea that this young uh, girl who died, this young lady who died, could be raised from the dead? How did he come up with this idea? How did he know that was even an option on the table? He knew to do it because his rabbi, his teacher, Jesus, did it. And Peter was there to witness it. Peter didn't just want to know some things about, about Jesus. Peter wanted to do what Jesus did. He saw Jesus walking on the water and said, I can do that too. He wasn't making things up on the fly. He wasn't this wild and crazy person. He was copying. He was imitating. He was doing the things that his rabbi showed them how to do. He was doing exactly what Jesus taught them to do. And so this gets to the first truth that I want us to, to grab a hold of today. The word disciple is a very churchy word. We throw it around a lot. We understand that we have a role to be a disciple, to make disciples, right? But from this, this scripture story today, we need to know that a disciple doesn't just want to know what their teacher knows. A disciple wants, or a disciple wants to do what their teacher does. Right? So this, this scripture idea of a rabbi with disciples that followed him, that's what this story is depicting, the, the, the maturation of a disciple into one who's doing what the rabbi does. And so as we look at the scripture text today, the question for us is whether we see the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus as something that was unique and specific to him, it was something that only Jesus could do, it was only for him to do, or do we see it as a way that we are to emulate, a path that we are to walk on? Is there anything for us to practice from the life of Jesus, or was Jesus simply here to do something that only he could do? 
Does Jesus expect us to follow him, to live as he lived, to love as he loved, to do the things that he did and that he taught others to do? Or does Jesus say that he was going to die on the cross so we don't need to do anything? And that might be overstated, it probably is, but that seems to be how the conversation goes sometimes. There's a popular thought segment in Christianity that's, that ta- talks about Jesus as divine, which obviously was son of God, but we spiritualize it to the extent that we, we see Jesus doing something that only Jesus can do. He suffered and died on the cross, so I don't have to suffer and die on the cross. He came and did for us that which we could not do for ourselves, which is totally true. That's part of the gospel. But it, the, we kind of run off the rails when we start thinking that the only response of a Christian to the life of Jesus uh, is to believe the right things about him. There's a guy 2,000 years ago, his name was Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? He died on a cross. Do you believe that happened? Then a couple days later, he was raised from the dead. Do you believe that happened? Yes? Okay, you're good. This type of Christianity then gets caught up in debates and doctrine and dogma and biblical interpretation. Because that's the world it lives in. It's, it's all about the ideas. What do we know about Jesus? There's, there's people that are arguing about, was Jesus six foot tall or was he five foot nine? Like, legitimate, you can Google that. There's an active argument about how tall he was, what did he look like, um, all those types of things. And Christianity can devolve into what we know, what we agree with, or what we disagree with, or maybe even how we feel about it. But we are a Nazarene church. We are part of a holiness tradition. And what that means to be part of the holiness tradition, a holiness movement, is that we believe that to be holy means to be like Jesus. It means that faith in Jesus is about transformation, not just a transaction or information, but transformation. We see Jesus as our example. He invites us to pick up our cross and to follow him, to imitate him. And so the way of Jesus was not just the way for him to go, but the way he teaches us to live as his church. Pick up the cross and follow him, he says. We understand Jesus to be our teacher and believe that to follow Jesus means more than just agreeing with ideas about him. It's listening to the things he taught. It's learning to live the way that he lived, to love and to forgive, to be generous and caring. As Jesus did, he's inviting us to enter into broken situations where it seems that sin and death have won, and to bring God's life into those places. And if we pay attention to the scriptures, the question becomes less and less about what our opinion was about what, is, what was Jesus' role, but maybe letting Jesus define for us what he was doing here on earth. It seems to me that Jesus fully expected his followers to do the things that he did, In fact, one of the few times we see Jesus get angry with his disciples is when they can't do the things that he expected them to do. I mentioned at the start that there was a time where they tried to cast out demons and they couldn't do it. And Jesus, in this moment of, do I have to do everything myself type of response, 
got angry with his disciples because they couldn't do what he had called them to do. He was frustrated that, they had, that he had to do it because they couldn't. In other places, he tells the disciples that they would do greater things than he was doing, which has always been a scripture text that has boggled my mind as a Christian. He tells his disciples, you are going to do greater things than he did. It didn't appear, it doesn't appear that Jesus thought he was sent on a unique mission to live a particular way and everybody else was just free to do whatever they wanted to after that. He wasn't here to change the status, but he was here to change lives. Transformation was the key to Jesus' ministry. In fact, it becomes clear as we study the Bible that Jesus lived the life that we're called to live. Paul says in later scriptures, he says to be an imitator of Christ. Um, Paul says that Jesus was the firstborn of God's family who all live holy lives. He's the firstborn, and we are all brothers and sisters with Jesus. There's another place where Jesus is called the new Adam, right? As in Adam from Adam and Eve, as in the original Adam sinned and all of creation was introduced to sin and death. But Jesus, the new Adam, knows no sin, restored creation, and then teaches us how to live without sin. And the Great Commission is what we call his, his command to his disciples. It's often viewed as his final instructions that Jesus gave his followers. He says to them, go and make disciples of all nations, um, and it's not necessarily go as uh, uh, talking with Paul briefly before service started today. They had um, uh, a discipleship conference. The district had a discipleship conference yesterday that Paul was at. And one of the things they emphasized was that when it said go and make disciples, it doesn't mean like you have to leave where you're at and go someplace else. It's just as you go, make disciples. As you carry about your daily lives and your living, like make disciples as you go. But he, Jesus is telling his disciples to do this. Go, go and make disciples of all nations, which that word nations means peoples. Like, this is a, a message. This is a, uh, an invitation for all people. As you go, make disciples of everyone. But Jesus was their teacher, and those who followed him were the disciples. But now, in this great commission, at the end of the gospel accounts, Jesus is telling his disciples, you're to go and be the teachers, to be the rabbis, and you're to make disciples. This thing that I've been doing for the past three years as we've wandered, as we've gone from village to village, preaching and teaching and praying and healing, now it's your turn. A disciple doesn't just get to know what their teacher knows. A disciple does what their teacher does. Discipleship is about formation. It's about formation. It's about taking something and shaping it into something else. It's about taking fishermen and making them to be people like Jesus. It's like taking tax collectors and making them to be like Jesus. It's about taking poor 
uh, sinners and making them to be like Jesus. Discipleship is about formation, not just information. And so the invitation for all of us today is this. Allow Jesus to be your teacher so that you can do the things that Jesus calls us to do. It's good to know things about him. It's good to know the Bible, to memorize scriptures and to know the stories and to know the events of, of Jesus' life. It's absolutely, I mean, it's the reason why since, since Advent, five, six months ago, we started following the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus, because we need to know about him for sure. But the goal is to be able to hear him speak to us. Let Jesus be your teacher so you can do the things that Jesus calls us to do. The church is called to carry out the mission that Jesus gave us. And so let us be like Peter, a disciple who watches and learns from Jesus, not so that we can know things, but so that we can do what Jesus does. There are family members and coworkers and friends and classmates and neighbors who need Jesus to show up. They need somebody uh, like Jesus to show up and say, Get up. There's life here. They need Jesus to step into the dead places in their lives and to breathe in new life. You know people, we know people that need that miracle. And being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, isn't something that happens automatically or instantly. Um, One of my favorite authors, a man named Eugene Peterson, uh, he wrote a book about discipleship, and he, he titles the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I love that idea. So we're just going to follow Jesus for a long time in the same direction. It's a commitment to walking on this path. And in that, Peterson says we must know Jesus well. We must know his teachings, but more importantly, we must know his heart. We must know his life. Like I said a few moments ago, it's why we spent the time from Advent to Easter following the story of Jesus each and every Sunday. Because we can't follow Jesus if we don't know him. And so that's our focus here at First Church. We want to know Jesus. We want to hear and see what he is teaching us. And we want to follow him, living the way that he uh, teaches us to. I hope we don't have any desire to be the type of Christian that knows things about God. We could, we could do really well at Bible Jeopardy, right? know all the trivia question answers, but then have our lives look nothing like Jesus. I hope that that, that idea would not sit well with you. We can know facts and information and all kinds of doctrines about Jesus, about the incarnation, about the Trinity, atonement, justification, sanctification, salvation, and and all those big theological terms. We can know all those and still not live lives that follow the ways of Jesus. And that would be a tragedy, To know all that information, to have all that uh, in your head, but not show up in our lives. Being a disciple of Jesus is more than studying the Bible. It's about letting God show you how to live, how to treat others, how to respond to hurt, what to do with your time and other resources. So being a disciple of Jesus means you allow Jesus to be your teacher so that you can do the things that Jesus calls us to do together. 
Is Jesus your teacher today? Is he someone that is actively teaching you and instructing you? If you look back a year or two years ago and say, was there something that I've, I know about how to live now that I didn't then? Is Jesus still teaching us how to live? Are you letting Jesus teach you? Are you letting Jesus shape your life? Does Jesus define what success is for you? Are you letting Jesus define your priorities and your mission? Is Jesus your teacher today? Because that is the invitation that comes from this story. Let us not just know things about Jesus or say things about Jesus, but let us, like Peter, watch and begin doing the things that Jesus did. Peter invited Tabitha to get up because Jesus taught him how to do that. A church isn't a group of people who believe certain things. It's a community of people who live according to their teacher. Jesus. So remember today, as disciples, we don't want to just know what our rabbi knows. We want to do what our rabbi does. And so allow Jesus to be your teacher. Engage in the, the scriptures, engage in your prayer life, engage in community, in, in relationship. You know, for the past several months, I've been highlighting kind of this definition of what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who worships God, somebody who gathers in community with others, connects with others, and somebody who serves others. And in those activities, in those uh, elements of a disciple's life, Jesus is teaching us how to live the way that he calls us to. So allow Jesus to speak to you in these moments of worship. Allow Jesus to speak to you through community, through fellowship. Seek him out. And allow Jesus to, to show you through service what he's calling you to do. Um, is Jesus your teacher today?